0: Hello, my name is Karita. And I'm Edwina. And this is Drop a Line, and uh, we're just here for another week to talk to you, drop you lines, and uh, talk about other things that interest us and that came up during the week that we want to share. Um, so I'm going to first ask Edwina where she's at. Where are you? Tell everybody.
1: So, right now, I'm in San Diego, and we apologize for the long hiatus. I think our goal was to make an episode happen every two weeks. But things, life happens and and we're still doing our best. So now I'm in San Diego. I, I lugged around my microphone with me on my one hand carry luggage so that I can record this episode as well. Because I'm higher at a conference um, that's based on social activism and research so, I'm here a couple of days early, and um, in about two days, I'm gonna enter this three day conference where it's like super packed with all things about like um, feminism, but also other kinds of isms that society unfortunately still faces, and just a, a lot on these kinds of social
0: topics. That's really exciting. And that ties right into like what a lot of people by now might know what you do if they, epi- if they listen to episode two of our podcast. So go back and listen to episode two where we talk about our careers and you'll kind of get a gist of what Edwina does as well and why she's at this conference. And in fact, I'm looking at her mic right now. She just mentioned that she... Um, brought it in her one carry on, and it's huge. I don't know if my friends, <laughs> just my perspective. <laughs> we're like looking at each other over video chat, obviously, <laughs> but it's like as big as her head.
1: No, no, no. It's just <laughs> just the perspective, for Jesus. But it was it was it was you know an adventure because I also had to carry a poster to the conference, and that's oh. I don't know. It it's a pretty long like poster tube and oh, yeah. I was really I was really gambling on whether or not I would make it with my luggage and my poster tube and my bag
0: so if you had to present the post could you like roll it and hold it and do stuff like that
1: yeah it's it's already rolled and put in the poster tube so Im- imagine if you had like a big poster made uh, of paper that's just how you carry it um and unfortunately, if you don't have the fabric kind of poster that you can fold up and just put in your suitcase, yeah. you have paper, then it just has to be in the tube. And okay. uh, yeah, apparently this is a thing that, that people, people get to do in conferences. They just bring along the tube and on airlines, they probably don't have a problem with it. I don't know. So okay. tips, to, tips to you guys, researchers or other kinds of academians who want to present a poster. You, you can just bring a poster tube on the airplane.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now we know how to spot them. bottom researchers. <laughs> but Well, so when we were sort of developing this podcast, we had, you know, initially just sort of jotted down a few things that we wanted to talk about. And we spent most of um, the initial part of the podcast, the first two episodes, talking about ourselves, talking about what we do, who we are. Uh, but we also want to make this podcast about issues that are important to us, things that are very relevant in our society today, and things that might affect you on a daily basis and things that you might want to learn about as well. And one of the things that we jotted down um, pretty early on was this thing called toxic masculinity. And that's something that everyone might have heard of and might have their own opinions on. Uh, I would say... Toxic masculinity can be pretty easily misunderstood. So I think probably it's probably pretty important to define it at first, just uh, so that we you know have a, a basis by which we, we can have our discussion today. So on Wikipedia, toxic masculinity, it says, the, to- the concept of toxic masculinity is used in psychology and media discussions of masculinity to refer to certain cultural norms that are associated with harm to society and to men themselves. And traditional stereotypes of men as socially dominant along with related traits such as misogyny and homophobia can be considered toxic due in part to their prom- promotion of violence, including sexual assault and domestic violence. The socialization of boys often normalizes violence, such as the saying, boys will be boys with regard to bullying and aggression. I think I've mostly seen this phrase kind of misunderstood because it has the term masculinity in it, which can identify, you know, a a big percentage of just general population. And then putting the word toxic in front of it um, has a lot of people seeing it as something that's bigoted or derogatory or defeating to an entire gender. And that's, that's the way that I've seen it, mostly misunderstood, whereas the actual definition is more referring to it being certain behaviors uh, that promote violence, aggression like hiding feelings, not expressing emotion, certain traits that are more likely to be pushed upon men uh, that, that define toxic masculinity. So yeah, I guess I just wanted to open the discussion up and see maybe how each of us might've experienced it in our own lives and you know how we might've witnessed it in society. Uh, so, what what do you think about toxic masculinity, Edwina? You know, just right off the bat. Mm,
1: so, I I do have similar experience in which um, toxic masculinity is misinterpreted to I don't know demonize um, males um, or people who who are gendered or, or have sexual organs as males, and I do think that it's more about, like, the behaviors that are associated or, like, the belief that um, when when you are um, associated with maleness, then there is, like, a rather rigid and, in a way, limiting way in which traditional gender roles have, have ascribed how one should behave or how one should think or how one should express feelings. So all of the things that you just mentioned. And it's quite surprising to me because I think a lot of the times, I don't think that this is something that at least I've come across as a problem to to, to general, I don't know, guys that I talk to. So I have had experiences where Um, I ask um, people about toxic masculinity and even though there have been like previous experiences in which they have told me about which I think would categorize as toxic masculinity such as having muted feelings or not being um, I don't know just being pressured to behave in a certain way for fear of stigmatization as one is a man there is still like a bit of a resistance to at least in in my personal life where when i've met and talked to people where this kind of thing isn't admitted and it could be rooted in a misunderstanding or not being on the same page of what kind of toxic what what toxic masculinity is in the first place
0: right and i think a lot of misunderstandings probably root from the wording of of phrases at least i've come to understand it that way because Something like toxic masculinity. It has, a, it has a broad general term masculinity in it, just the same way that feminism does. It's, it's gendered and it, it says feminine. That's, that's a root of the word. And so people are less likely to equate feminism with equality or equity um, and see it more as like empowering women and thusly just uh, inhibiting men in a way. So I think words, the wording probably has a lot of power in it. So when someone just hears that right off the bat, they, they, they see two words, toxic and masculine, and uh, it can be, it can end up seeming very generalized. I think that's what like a lot of opponents of toxic masculinity have said that it's destructive to men, but then they also sort of in this, in these same articles that I've, I have read in the past, um, oftentimes opponents of toxic masculinity aren't really understanding of it because in the same, in the same article, you'll see something about, you know, why shouldn't we, we value the, the aggression or the power? Why shouldn't we respect when a man has, you know, the power to stay strong, which usually means, you know. Keep keep feelings inside, keep thoughts inside, and and not express themselves, not um, not ask for help, not do things that are generally considered more uh, feminine characteristics, and and it's just like the gendering of these characteristics in general has just sort of has already been so ingrained in people that you know that people are going to have judgments about. know people are going to be offended by hearing that uh, that a a man shouldn't isn't a man if he's not strong and powerful for other people and then strong and powerful has its own connotations you know like what is strong and powerful i think
1: that in the end people just live their own lives right like if they want to if they want to bottle up feelings or if they want to act like very assertively or very aggressively a part of me says that you know it's it's their own thing but I also have a part of me that thinks that this is also harmful to the people themselves and it's not for me to decide like how they should live their lives and what is or like what is harmful and why that should then be prevented for that personal person like that person specifically per se but I do think that it is important to acknowledge how this then perpetuates gender roles that are very essentializing and that are harmful for men like as a group for those who don't wanna or who who do, for those who don't want to or cannot find themselves comporting to those very strict gender roles that have been reinforced throughout time so for that single person i i don't know like do you i guess, but I guess on a general scale, like it is. I think, harmful if we take toxic masculinity as a definition that we take it. And I also think that, you know, a part of me feels that if people want to have a very strong opinion on things like feminism or toxic masculinity, like these kinds of terms, I also think they have to do their own research to figure out what exactly it's supposed to mean. And I know that there's quite a lot, but I do have the impression that sometimes these opinions are, are brought about by colloquial discussion and not really like a person's own initiative of digging into what what things are represented by certain terms. Um, so it could be with toxic masculinity, it could be feminism as examples, but just generally other terms related to social change are associated in this kind of way where a lot of people come to have very polarizing opinions and then start debating or discussing with people um, who have different opinions but no one's really on the same page of what exactly they're talking about and they're in a way talking past each other because I'm not saying like one group does this but it is the case that there is a lot of um, unawareness of what exactly we are talking about and who this affects in the long run.
0: Right yeah and when someone already gets in that pattern of Debating someone based on their first impression of a concept, it's really hard to change an opinion beyond that because someone's invested so much of their time and energy arguing a certain point where it's like confirmation bias. They won't look at any sort of proof, even if it's a standard definition and it's something that should be considered by, by all and it's an objective definition. I don't think anybody would regard something to be true if it's been so drastically against what they've believed for such a long time. And I think, you know, that, that kind of drives a lot of the uh, opposition against toxic masculinity and also like touching on what you said, it can definitely be very isolating for someone who, who might not uh, want to exhibit traits that are associated now with, with, with male temperament or masculinity or anything like that, that are gendered. And um, because it's come to be seen as masculine for so long, they might not be able to find their own place, uh, which leads to like a lot of mental health issues, self-esteem issues, loss of identity. And um, it could be very harmful to men and to women as well. Um, I think oftentimes people see things like feminism and toxic masculinity as a weapon solely against women that women have come up and started blaming on others, on men specifically. But I think the greatest, some of the greatest victims of toxic masculinity besides society as a whole are men themselves. Uh, because it, it's them that do feel the need to conform to a certain ideal. It's defeating to diversity or variety or um, uniqueness, anything like that, because it it, it really is very rigid. Um, ter- like saying things like "boys will be boys" or "be a man" uh, are like value judgments that can be spoken amongst like family members amongst siblings. So when it comes from people that, people in a man's life that they really care about, it's very defeating to them just on a whole, their identity, who they are, what they're worth and what they are supposed to pursue, how they're supposed to be in life, what they're supposed to do in life. I think it affects mm-hmm. the whole line of thought.
1: Yeah. On the contrary, even for... So men as a, as a group... Is also not monolithic, and I do also want to acknowledge people who are trying to do better, who are trying to, you know, stay woke in that sense, um, and to at least advocate for for um, you know, eradicating toxic masculinity and these kinds of terms. But it does make it a lot harder um, when when there are these very rigid ideas, very astute ideas that somehow are, are so difficult to tackle because of w- what we've talked about how the definitions are even unclear in the first place and it does start becoming a one-sided conversation then from from both ends like I said there people are just talking past each other and this could be coming from a woman or this could also be c- coming from a man or whoever is not under um gender binary but the fact of the matter is, I think there are some people who do not really know what is being talked about um, and what are the ideas that are being brought forward. But there is a whole lot of threat being feel being you know field here, um, and it is very tricky to tackle. So even even when I when I wanted to start my PhD, I had to come to terms with with myself. And this might not be um, talking about toxic masculinity per se, but if we're, we're going to talk about in general gen- gender equality things like my PhD is very rooted in trying to tackle at some of these ideas. And of course, as a researcher and an advocate, I, I want to bring these ideas forward into society and hopefully make an impact. But in order to do that, you you have to get out of your academic bubble where things are very technical um, and talk to people, talk to people who are outside of the ivory tower. And I've always been afraid of, you know, re- rejecting opinions of of my project or some of the things that I propose in, in my research um, just because it's about gender, um, just, just because it's about addressing forms of inequalities that I firmly believe exist in society, no matter where they are so these these are things that also I think make it hard for people to just advocate like advocate an an uh, an authentic position if they believe that toxic masculinity shouldn't be something that's harmful for men or shouldn't be existing in the first place um and just other ideas and forms of inequalities
0: right you reminded me that. You know, a lot of people that come from a place of defensiveness about something like toxic masculinity sort of see it being more discussed on larger platforms. And I don't remember exactly when it was, but um, the APA, the American Psychological Association, uh, had at one point identified toxic masculinity as behavior that did need to be need to be addressed in, in settings like therapy, if, you know, traits in, in young boys are seen as uh, defeating of themselves or of others, which, which has been promoted to them by society, then that's something that needs to be addressed and uh, a sort of more diverse range of feelings, emotions, and thoughts and behaviors needs to be presented. Um, and I think like when something is, Spoken spoken about on such a large scale, such as, you know, in therapy and by the APA, which governs behavioral health, uh, on a pretty large scale, and and, you know, opponents to the the ideal, see it on that large scale. Of course, they're going to feel threatened. They're going to feel angry, and. Uh, they're going to feel upset and that creates like a lot of distrust in like a lot of institutions and resources that we have available to to correct something like that that's eventually gonna help society as a whole and um so I, I mean I I see where I I understand that sentiment of people feeling kind of scared or threatened uh with with their own opinion uh but again it goes back to like what you mentioned it's it is important for each person that, that decides to hold an opinion to thoroughly research uh, everything behind the, the topic. And unfortunately, we, we don't often, sometimes people miss that part because they've, they've been having this opinion about it for such a long time.
1: I guess there's also something to say about how in a lot of the platforms where these conversations are being held whether they be academic or not academic, more on a ground, grassroots basis. I do think there's also a very, very tough issue of self-selection bias. Even in a- academia, there there could be um, a large group of advocates who are doing a lot of gender inequality research or other kinds of um, discrimination, prejudice research. But it in the end, it's going to be the same researchers who have that interest, who are more willing to at least use their bandwidth to um, delve into these kinds of issues, who will be present, who will be talking and having these kinds of conversations. And I think there there are lots of pockets that are not targeted in some sense, whether it be targeting their interest or literally inviting them to the conversation. That's not happening. And I guess this also happens in community-wide efforts where people who show up to these kinds of events are more more interested in them anyway whether or not they already have their opinion of things and it's set and they just want to say their piece and go um or they're really willing to have a conversation but it's already like skewed to a certain sense you know what i mean like people who come to um debates either have their mindset or they're like super open um to you know whatever is happening around them or like hearing other opinions and then people who are more in between like i think they get left out of the conversation and i'm not sure like what exactly would be the best strategy to to i don't know if it's all inclusive or like that's just how it is and then we move forward from that i'm i'm not sure
0: I wish there was, like, a clear answer as to, like, what can be done to yeah. uh, to make the reach of, of knowledge more wide and make people more accepting of it. Because, I mean, it is all out there, you know, whether someone's interested or not, uh, the yeah. information is out there.
1: I went to um, another conference not too long ago. It was the Herning Illustrum Lustrum conference. Um, and the whole team was about addressing diversity and fostering inclusivity in the university. And it was such, it was a really great conference. Like yeah. the, the organizers um, did a fantastic job. And I think the person heading it, Monica Lopez Lopez from, from the University of Krodinger, like they really put a lot of thought into this and they made the agenda such that um, like minority um, minority speakers were available and most importantly they were addressing like inequalities that were being um, perpetuated in universities because of how universities are structured and so a lot of people who attended were people already interested in these issues or were from marginalized communities who don't really need to be told that they are marginalized in some way or that there's something wrong with like the system in that sense, and the sad part was the people who really needed to have to really needed to hear this were not there. So I think this is illustrative of of what i I mean. like the people who need to hear this um, generally are not interested in some way, and it's sad because then the onus is put on people of marginalized communities. Um, to make all these, like, extra efforts to, like, make themselves heard and, like, put their issues on the agenda as as a prioritized issue. But it does get unsettling the extent to which, I guess, people who are not affected don't really care or don't really see it as an issue. So to continuously be fighting for your issues to be put even on the table as something to be talked about and to be heard that's a really big struggle and I really wish like there, there would just be more initiative than from, from people who are not affected by, you know, certain issues to also delve into them and understand how like in the end, people are all interconnected in some way. And I know, I know we started this conversation on toxic masculinity, um, but like, how one comports themselves in the end affects how other people are being treated on a large scale. And one's person's silence about certain issues also sends a message that things are not important.
0: Yeah. Do you, I don't know if you saw the, um, there was a, not too long ago, there was a Gillette commercial. Uh, I, I, Cannot even tell you how it related to razors, which is Gillette is the is a razor brand in America. Yeah. Um, so, but the concept of it was men in their own community, be like rejecting things that are traditionally uh, like traditional ma- masculine attitudes or toxic masculine attitudes, and it was just this montage of of. Men in their own communities and in their own lives and their own families and societies rejecting these ideals and allowing their boys, their younger boys, to be whoever they wanted to be and express themselves and, uh, and actively call out when they see a certain behavior. And I think that... Oh, kind of, the,
1: was it was it with like the little boys? Where did I, the little boys... Go?
0: I've seen it once like a long time ago. I'm sure there were little boys involved in it. Yeah.
1: I think it was like contrasting what traditional toxic masculinity would propose. And one scene was with a little boys that were fighting and then people being like, Oh, boys will be boys. And then in the other scene, it would be the same boys fighting, but there would be more like, Oh, we don't do that. Or like, why are you fighting kind of thing? Maybe it's the same line, but like a different commercial. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I we'll mean, post, we'll post a the the link with the, yeah. with the <laughs> show description.
0: And, um, I think that kind of speaks to what you were saying where you know a lot of people have the idea that toxic masculinity is a term that stems from uh females targeting males. Uh I think that commercial served as 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 something to say that you know males males need to combat this behavior because it is it's uh it's something that's and not that toxic masculinity doesn't affect males and females or um, any gender identity, but um, it was males in their own, in their own community facing a problem that's mostly plagued um, their own gender and speaking up against it themselves, as opposed to women having to explain it to men or having to explain it to a wider audience or anything like that. Um, And I think that's, that's what that made that commercial sort of unique, uh, and very talked about. It was a little polarizing as, you know, for every reason that we've described so far, um, you know, people will hold their opinions and hold strong to them unless, Well, hopefully, you know, some healthy challenging does lead to, to at least more openness and more receptiveness to to knowledge that's out there. But, um, yeah it just sort of reminded me of that commercial where you know you saw boys and themselves sort of being active in their community to to target this sort of behavior and stop it when it becomes harmful to them to themselves yeah. or others
1: yeah and I think it's also worth at least considering how if if we consider it not just men from the west or not not just like. European, American, white men, I think it becomes increasingly harder for men from different ethnic communities to also talk about toxic masculinity and acknowledge it as something that exists and that does affect um, them. And I mean, I haven't really had a lot of conversations specifically about toxic masculinity from um, people of marginalized ethnic backgrounds, but I, I can imagine that, you know, this this conversation doesn't happen as much um or or is not i don't know maybe this is my own just like western bias cuz like i've never really you know had these conversations or been exposed to these conversations where um like men of different backgrounds are specifically addressed and i'm thinking specifically about like my experience on saint martin with like chinese men for example like i i could not I cannot imagine that this is something that is even acknowledged or spoken about and negotiated in some senses. I would I would think that this happens like outside like when when Chinese men would then you know migrate for one reason or another outside of St. Martin specifically. So maybe I'm just talking about St. Martin in its own like micro micro bubble of society.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, because I mean that is that is something that we you know, a society other than where we are at that we've experienced. So, yeah, I mean, it's fair to compare, um, but I know what you mean. Uh, I think it's so saturated. Where, at least where I'm at, where in in America, that discussion is so saturated with um, all these like polarized opinions, um, and it's it's hard to imagine that it's that um, contentious in. In other parts of the world but i mean who knows it could be uh, perhaps we're not like completely at least i i don't know if i'm completely aware of, of how these concepts are discussed or how they present in different in different parts of the world or different societies
1: yeah but. i guess it's always something we could look up
0: have you um experienced any instances of toxic masculinity or like seeing any examples of it around you not necessarily towards you or anything like that but have can you identify like any examples where you've seen it happening
1: probably a lot in high school yeah yeah just robust like showing off of dominance and i guess a part of toxic masculinity is also not being able to be authentic to feelings towards other men and thus only showing that part of yourself to women um, because and then women are like ascribed roles of being the sensitive one and like having a larger emotional quotient so I think in that sense men in my life in my high school talking to men about things that are, you know, not just like things happening in terms of like acts, but actual emotions and feelings and negotiating, like how they process things. I think that there there was a lot lacking.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I also think at the time that we were in high school, um, these things weren't even talked about. I, I don't, I don't, I can't even remember... You know what my position on on <laughs> things like this was at the time, or how I even thought. I can't quite transport myself back to that time, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we almost promoted that sort of behavior in high school, or we we held thoughts or beliefs that were was reinforcing of men or boys at that time doing being the way they were. Um, whether that was emotionally um, inclusive, or or if it was uh, particularly grandiose or very showy with with power or exerted feelings of dominance, or um, were territorial at all, I, I, I don't recall ever actively um, having a distaste for it. To the point where I'd call it out um, So I guess that's the the benefit of having it having been talked about um, When I started realizing it being a problem or being harmful was when I was in college in, in my undergrad and I don't know if this was this is common in universities in the Netherlands but uh, over here obviously there are like fraternity sororities stuff like that. oh wow talking about toxic yeah yeah so a big part of the college culture was people rushing for sororities or fraternities and I had the group of friends that I hung out with in undergrad uh all the males had been rushing for one particular fraternity and there was a lot of hazing going on. So hazing is the concept of mm-hmm. uh, making the, the candidates that are rushing to be part of this fraternity, to be part of this uh, brotherhood, so to speak. Um, they had to prove themselves in ways, do certain things that were, uh, that proved themselves as a man, that proved themselves as dominant, prove themselves as worthy of being a part of, of this kind of like elite brotherhood. Um, and I don't recall what specifically the, in what specific way they were hazed, but I do remember that there was, I do remember hearing instances of violence, um, whether being Mm -hmm. hit with something or tolerating some level of pain, like minor pain, and that was so offputting to me at the time. I was like, really, this is just that sounds awful
1: yeah and it it also happens um it happened in hera once um with a specific like fraternity student association, and um people die because of this as well,
0: yeah, yeah, it's crazy. so and I think the people rushing have such they have such an ideal of this of this fraternity or um, brotherhood that they they don't really see yeah. what harm is being caused to them at their expense. They're you know they all they see is this goal of being part of this this group of people that seem uh, powerful dominant and that seem to have um, this notor- notoriety amongst this large population of that is their school and yeah so that's. And then, oh, well, I guess this is a good time to mention that I am a Bachelor, Bachelorette watcher. Oh, God. So, yeah. <laughs> there's so many, because I just remembered what happened in an episode. But um, I watched The Bachelor and Bachelorette. Uh, no shame, because I think it's just a good platform for, like, social comparisons things that happen in society because it is a reality show. So you kind of just see a lot of social dynamics play out and a lot of, um, social phenomenon that I like talking about as is, and it's just sort of like crammed into this one hour with like, there's so many different phenomena to discuss. And one of them is toxic masculinity because, um, currently, uh, the person who is a bachelorette on the current season, um, has been very vocal about wanting a manly man. Uh, and so she has been placing a lot of her men that are vying for her heart or attention or engagement or whatever you you, you call it, um, on these very athletic, violent dates and sort of showing Violent dates? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes they'll set up like a group date where they're playing a sport that doesn't, that has very like arbitrary rules towards um, how one may behave in a way that, you know, accomplishes the goal of playing the game, but also doesn't harm one another. Um, so she's been having a couple of these dates where where, it's, where these arbitrary rules, rules have just been like affecting the male's interaction with one another Another, and you see this, um, this pleasure of her enjoying like males being males, so to speak, um, or boys being boys, as traditionally said, when, when males display, have a display of aggression, have a display of dominance, of power. So that was an example that was just very stark that I'd recently seen uh, that just sort of popped up in my head. And, yeah, so, I mean, that's just to speak. And that that shows like, filmed, you know, in 2019. It's very current.
1: I, I just wanted to piggyback on your example of how this also has real consequences of how, how men view their bodies and how they're still... A, I mean, there's a lot of talk about female body shame, but there's also a whole lot of male body shame that goes on, um, particularly with wanting to have very strong athletic bodies, very muscular bodies, and people who don't have them um, are then viewed as less manly in some way. So I think like it it probably varies by age and like there are some other like group types that are available, but it's still quite limiting to to other guys, specifically with not even just like behaviors anymore or cognition, but just how they look and how they feel in their skin. And so th- that example with, with the bachelor slash bachelorette, like it's really crazy. It's super harmful.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess like I said, there's there's examples of it all around us still uh, of toxic masculinity that we can, you know, identify and hopefully get to a point where where You know, everyone can come and just see a behavior as being harmful as opposed to masculine or feminine, harmful to oneself, harmful to others. And, you know, that would be enough to want people to change that behavior or uh, eradicate that behavior um, as opposed to us having to talk about toxic masculinity. And I guess also um, toxic masculinity is something that can have an effect, just sort of that ingrains itself in our like societal systems. The way the way things are now will have been influenced by uh, toxic masculinity that was very ingrained in culture in the past. Um, and this is not like a direct relation or a, it's not something that you could see like a direct correlation right off the bat. Um, but right here in uh, in America, there's been a wave of a lot of um, abortion bans that have been going on in a lot of states right now. Currently, I think it's Alabama was the most recent and now there's like Louisiana and Georgia that are having these abortion bans that they're calling heartbeat bills, which basically means uh, they're proposing bills um, for abortions to be illegal after the sixth week, because the sixth week is generally when, um, the heartbeat can be detected. But unfortunately that, that creates like a big, um, you know, that's, that's problematic for women because six weeks is, is the time frame within which people start finding out whether they're pregnant. Um, and so, often it it makes most abortions illegal because the time frame within which a woman would find out that they're pregnant um, falls within, um, you know, the sixth week, the fifth or sixth week when they miss their period, unfortunately. Um, and so, it's essentially um, there have been like a lot of opponents. Uh, having needing it to be like called for what it is, which is just an abortion ban as opposed to being called this this heartbeat bill, um, because their connotation is just like as long as a fetus has a heart, um, it's alive, and it would be considered killing a child or a murder or intentional murder. Um, and the reason that I bring it up in relation to toxic masculinity. Um when it was, when the bill was passed in Alabama, uh, and it's, and that will be taking effect in November of this year in Alabama, um, there was a picture that came out and it was, um, every senator that had agreed to that bill was a white male. Um, I think that just sort of speaks to, you know, a lot of decisions a lot of power is is sort of given to to males about women's issues about their own bodies something that you know shouldn't be should be a choice of females as opposed to a legal decision um it's it's sort of been ingrained that men have increasingly increasingly gained the right or the power to um Make these decisions for women. And I think that stems from a place of toxic masculinity, where um, the man always has to be the provider, the 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 person that has the 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 last word, um, the higher voice, as opposed to to the female. Um, and that's, I would say, like almost a real life consequence of of behaviors that have been ignored in the past, behaviors and thoughts and um, ideas that have been ignored and not addressed in the past that have sort of gotten us to the point where a lot of people would, you know, join together and think that this is okay and think that this should be the law of all things.
1: And I think it even has ironic effects that would then counter the whole idea of men being a provider in that sense because if if then if then you have this at least this is my train of thought if you have this um bill that essentially bans abortion and you don't do anything about stimulating more men to be more involved in the child's life for example paternity leave or or that sort then you just have children who might or might not have men in their lives who were part of making this baby in the first place
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so that's that's really I mean that makes no sense to me what the heck
0: (laughs) counterproductive absolutely I don't know if like a lot of people are desensitized to it but when you think about it it is a very dark thought um, to think that You know, so many states right now are considering that bill um, and that it's essentially um, headed towards a a nationwide ban on on abortion in general. Um, It's scary. It's
1: scary for like in my position as a woman, if, if you're remotely sexually active, things can happen like and you might not be able to know that you're pregnant within six weeks.
0: Yeah, not at all. But um, that's that's what it is, and unfortunately, is um, being passed in some states. Um, so that's it is disheartening. What is? I mean, what's? I, I'm a little ignorant on the law in the Netherlands about abortions. Or
1: Ooh, I think I I recently looked this up when we last talked about maybe discussing the abortion law in the podcast, and I I don't. It's definitely not as strict. How many weeks are there in a pregnancy? Like, I'm even more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: so it's nine months. Yeah. So, like so 30, there's 36 weeks. I think it's I th- a little bit more than 36. In, like, in terms of weeks, it's a little more than 36, maybe. Like, 38, I think. So I'm not sure.
1: Don't take this as, as truth. And I'll probably, like, link this also okay. in the podcast description. But somewhere around week 20 would be when it starts to become illegal. Like when, when you know, it, it wouldn't be allowed then to have an abortion. But there's, there's
0: yeah.
1: at least in comparison to when I was looking at the heartbeat bill, there's a lot more time.
0: And yeah.
1: That, it definitely makes a difference for women. And, you know, how this affects the rest of their lives and how they live their life with someone else or without someone else.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hopefully... I would like to think that most um, countries aren't following suit <laughs> as to, to the one that I'm in right now. Um, I guess
1: maybe a note to end on for this episode is, you know, everyone, you and I are also not, you know, holier than thou in the sense that we, we, we also talked about how in the past and probably right now, Um, In the present, we do things that are performative that also perpetuate things to be as unfair as they are. And I guess I'm hoping that if listeners hear this episode, then they also take time to consider their lives their actions or thoughts might also be perpetuating this kind of inequality that is toxic to men and women and everything in between and to other groups that they might not relate to or think about intuitively because it doesn't affect them directly or it doesn't affect them negatively directly Mm. Um, so I guess one can hope that that we have this
0: kind of impact yeah one can hope but um, hopefully this discussion has been enlightening to some. You send this to your friends. That's, that's a start. This is a start for us. We Let's start this re- revolution up. Um, share this podcast with your friends. Be open about it. Talk about it. Have discussions. Um, and hear each other out. And, you know, hopefully we find that people are more willing to challenge their ideas uh than we than we think that we that they are
1: but also do your own research do not rely on whoever you're talking to to be able to inform you on all of the things that's unfair for them so if you want to be a participant and if you really want to make this kind of contribution also do your research to know what you're actually talking about real don't
0: even take it from us like after this podcast just like look up the heartbeat though look up um, just sort of ponder on things that you've experienced in the past. Anything that's remotely similar to what we might have described today, and then you can drop us a line and tell us what you think. Tell us what your opinions are, what your concerns are, um, and where where you think we're headed as a society and how we can change that.
1: All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>